Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hello and welcome everybody to the REI Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. Today we have Kevin Bupp. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Peely and Jason, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. So Kevin is an incredible real estate investor who's uh, focused on many different platforms uh, throughout his investing time and, and is currently doing amazing in the mobile home park niche. Uh, currently has uh, over a thousand pads under management and mm-hmm. is pushing to have 10,000 by tomorrow, shortly. Next week? Five years. Oh, yeah, five. T- tomorrow tomorrow be a little aggressive. I, I thought five years was aggressive enough, but... Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. I wish tomorrow. I wish yeah. tomorrow. So, Kevin, how did you get started in real estate? Yeah, so I, I'll take you guys back um, a little bit, back in time. I'm 38 today, and uh, I got started right out, kind of about a year out of high school, and I was... Um, or, or just 38 as in... No, 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 not yeah. today. <laughs> March, March. Okay. I think, yeah, March 13th. I, actually, I forget my age sometimes. Now, yeah. as I get older, actually, I miss years. Sometimes I think <laughs> I'm older, sometimes I think I'm younger, but now I'm 38. Not today, but March 13th, I'll be 39. Um, but I, uh, I was a really... And I know people tell these kind of stories all the time, but I really was a horrible high school student. I mean, I just, I didn't care about school. I just, I didn't do good at all. I wasn't a, I wasn't good with the conventional uh, learning system or, or teaching system that our schools have. And I didn't know that until after, I, you know, many years down the road after, after high school. But I mean, I literally barely graduated. I graduated with a 1.8 GPA. I mean, literally like 1.7 was a threshold. I had a 1.8 and I, so I barely graduated and I uh, didn't really have the opportunity to go away to school like a lot of my friends were. And, and plus I knew I would have wasted my parents' money. If, I, if I'd have gone away, I would have partied and probably gotten kicked out the first semester. So it wouldn't have worked out too well for me. So I did what any, you know, I guess stay at home guy does after he graduate, graduates high school, he goes to community college and I uh, went to community college with no direction whatsoever. And uh, just was kind of working through the motions, not knowing what I wanted to do. Um, didn't really have much drive. I knew I wanted to do something bigger. I just had no idea what it was. And uh, I was, I was tending bar, um, and going to school, just having fun with it, you know, hanging out in the weekends, hanging out in the evenings, you know, whatever you do when you're a college student and a bartender and, uh, wasn't really going anywhere with life. And I just, I got really lucky at, at a, you know, when I was 19, I was, um, dating a girl at the time. And uh, her mother had recently been divorced and she was dating a, uh, a, a guy, uh, had a boyfriend and his name was David. And uh, David, uh, just long story short, I was introduced to David. He was about 20 or so years older than I, maybe about 25 years older than I. And um, David was a local real estate investor. And uh, that's what he did full time. He owned single family properties and multifamily properties. And I always thought it was kind of odd that I'd go visit my girlfriend like during the day between classes or whatever. And uh, David would be like sometimes around her mom, her mom's house. And I'm like, what, what the hell are you doing here? Like you're, you're an adult. Shouldn't you be like at your job? Right. And that's how I found he was an investor. He's like, no, I own property. Like I don't really have a real job. And I didn't know what that really <laughs> meant. Cause my parents were both, you know, they worked nine to fives, you know, normal jobs. And that's all I ever really knew. And, and, um, basically I got stuck one day. Um, I got stuck one day out on a boat with David. I owned a boat. My brother and I had a boat at the time, you know, summertime we'd go out in the boat and uh, go up the river and just have fun, water skiing, wakeboard and all that. And, uh, 
one day I got, I say I got stuck on the boat with David, but I, I invited my friends out and they kind of bailed on me. And David's like, I'll go. I'm like, well, it's kind of weird, but okay, let's go out on the boat. <laughs> and, uh, I got to know David really well that day. And he actually, long story short, he invited me to a real estate boot camp in Philadelphia. Um, because I, he probably saw that I, there was a struggling 19 year old in front of him that had no direction in life. And he was probably offering me like life support at that point. I didn't see it as that, but now that I look back, that's kind of what was happening. And he, uh, invited me to this three day boot camp. It was a Ron Legrand boot camp. If you guys have ever heard of Ron Legrand, uh-huh. he's still around today, I think teaching. Um, but it was on how to wholesale and also fix and flip homes. And, uh, I did that and met a bunch of people during that, that three day boot camp, and that were making a lot of money. And I, I still didn't know what they were doing really. I didn't fully understand it. Didn't know about real estate. And, but I was like, if these guys can do it, I mean, if I could only just do one a year, I would make like three times what I'm making bartending, right? If I just flipped one house and that's kind of, I left there with the idea that, I'm going to do this. It's something I can at least grab a hold of. I got it. It was exciting. And, uh, and also David was someone that had become a friend of mine. And um, I knew that if I needed help, he'd be there to help me. And so I literally went and asked him if he, if I could literally follow him around for however long I needed, literally I'll, I'll do everything he needed me to do for him, you know, in between classes, in between tending bar, I would literally be his servant, you know, just so that I could learn as much as I could about the business. And that's what happened. I followed him around for a year. And uh, before I ended up buying my first property, bought a single family home in a really rundown section of town in, in Pennsylvania, uh, where I grew up. And uh, that was like the introduction to like, investing for me, like buying my first property. It was just a really rough area. I probably still wouldn't buy one there today. It was a really bad mistake. I made money on it, but it was just rough, really rough, bad tenant base. And, um, bought that first, uh, rundown property continued from there forward buying single family homes for about four and a half to five years, uh, mostly for long-term rental. Um, we did fix and flip a few and we wholesaled a few when we had to. Um, but really he'd always taught me long-term passive income. Like, so I kind of have always just followed that philosophy from the start and would sell or fix and flip or or wholesale something when I needed more capital. Um, and I got introduced to multifamily, uh, when I was about 25 years old, started buying multifamily properties, mostly smaller stuff, you know, 76 units was the largest one that we owned. And, um, and then, uh, fast forward to 2008, lost mostly everything in the crash. And uh, took a couple of years off of real estate, built a couple other businesses, got back into real estate, late 2010, early 2011. And uh, at that point, mobile home parks became my focus. And so from that point to today, mobile home parks have been 99% of my focus. And I say 99% because I still own a few other properties, uh, single family homes, I had a commercial property and a multifamily property and things like that. But 99% of our focus is mobile home parks. So that's the long and short of it. <laughs> what a story. That is a wow. Story. Wow. Yeah. Wow. There's so much there. <laughs> so there's a lot that we can touch on, but we'd love to, to track back to your, your mentor, uh, David, cause that, that's just an incredible story. Mm-hmm. It goes on a point here is that you basically had someone who was offering you help, but he wasn't giving it to you. He wasn't reaching out and just, just passing on there. You went out and offered help for a year and you did stuff. Yeah. Anything you could just to, just to help him out. And that honestly set you on your journey. So for people out there who, who maybe just, just, Oh, I want to find a mentor. Well, where can you offer help to? And that that's probably. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I can, I, I can promise you that it was, um, there was points in time where I questioned why I was even, you know, doing it. Cause I would literally, I would get off. I, 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 
10 bar I'd get home at like one in the morning. He was a really, he was an early bird. Like I, I never understood how he'd like wake up automatically without even saying alarm at like 5am. So he was starting his office day at like seven 30. Like that's, and he expected me, he works from his home office. He expected me to be there. Um, you know, when he got his day started and then a lot of times I'd have to leave for a few hours, go to class, come back and then go back to the bar at like 5pm and then working. So like, it was a, Crazy. It was challenging at times. And my friends would make fun of me like, why are you hanging out with that old guy? You know, I'm like, shut up guys. You don't even know what's going on. You know, like, leave me alone. Like I'm learning a ton. And, uh, you know, like, I questioned why I was doing it for, you know, for a couple of months. I was, is this going to turn into anything? And, uh, I'm glad I stuck with it. I'm glad he had faith in me. And, uh, really, I, it, it really is a blessing seriously, because I, I, w- a lot of people are looking for mentors and I wasn't looking for. It. So I really yeah. consider myself incredibly lucky because I don't know where I would be in life. I honestly don't know where I would be in life, what I'd be doing if it wasn't for David, because I had no interest in real estate. I'd never picked up a real estate book and it definitely wasn't on my radar at all. So I really, I, I give David's, I mean, so much, um, uh, gratitude, all the, uh, just every week, every month I talk to him and, uh, just let him know how grateful I am that he came into my life. Cause I wouldn't know where I'd be with, with without him. So that's just That's amazing great. how the universe kind of just opens yeah, up. Yeah, no, it's incredible. Yeah. Puts you on that path. And if you actually are open to it and you listen and you follow that path, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, look at where you are today. It's a, that's amazing, amazing story. And you talk about that one property that you probably wouldn't buy today, but that, yeah. that was, you had to buy that property because that was your start. So, so it's yeah. almost better what you don't know, you don't know. It's yeah. Yeah, you got it's funny. I always, I always give him crap about it. I said, why'd you let me buy that junk hole? Come on. Like there'd have been so many better properties to buy than that one. Why'd you let me buy that one? <laughs> yeah. Right. He's, He's like, well, you, get, like, you gotta set your own path. Yeah, that's it. You need the crash course. There it was. <laughs> and another key point you made is that it, it, this is attainable and it is hard. So it, people listen are like, well, Kevin has a thousand pads. Well, Kevin started with one house in Pennsylvania yeah. and yeah. it is obtainable, but you just, you, you're not ultimately going to go out there and flip 200 homes a year or wholesale 300 houses a year. It, 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 you have to set up the system. And for this point, you, you set up your, your learning process and you set up your system, you start with one houses and now you've made the transition to mobile home parks. What, mm-hmm what really stands out to you that you, you said, this is the direction that we want our business to go? You know, I, 2008 was 2007, 2008 was a really rough time for me. I mean, I had never been through a downturn before because when I got involved in real estate, it was the roller coaster was riding up the hill. Right. Yeah. And so that's all I knew. I didn't really know any different. And uh, 2008 was um, just a really challenging time. We lost most of the real estate we had. It was down here in Southwest Florida, which was kind of ground zero. And um, it was just a complete catastrophe. It was a mess. And, uh, just trying to stay with my head above water. I mean, was a struggle each and every day. So I, um, you know, I took two years off and just really didn't even want to think about real estate, which was the wrong thing to do. Now that I look back, I wish I would have just, you know, stuck my head up high and recapitalized because I missed a lot of opportunities during those times, but it's okay. Um, I started a few other businesses, um, that were health and fitness related, which is a big part of my life. And, but that wasn't really all that it wasn't, it was fulfilling from a personal side, but from a monetary side, it really wasn't. And it wasn't going to get me to where I needed to be or where I get me back to where I wanted to be. And uh, real estate, so I had such a love for it. And I knew that monetarily it could help me reach those goals as well. And um, so sometime in 2010, I really started reflecting, like actually started thinking back on what went wrong. I mean, I, I literally, I tried just to like shove it off in the back of my mind and like lock it away. What had just happened. And, um, 
I started reflecting on what had, what, you know, my business, what was wrong with it, what I could have changed. If I could go back again and, and go through that, that downturn again, what would I've done differently? And what I realized is I had 122 at the time of the crash, I had 122 single family homes and I had uh, just under 500 multifamily properties, uh, multifamily properties. I had lots of partners in and things like that. But the single family homes are really, when I look back, those are, those are the ones that drug me down. They were very inefficient to manage. We owned them in four different counties. I mean, just the inefficiencies of having property management, um, you know, uh, maintenance guys and such going back and forth, driving from property to property, you know, the, 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 the turns on those things are so expensive. Um, it's just, it was a very inefficient model and um, it, it was hard to scale. It was very incredibly hard to scale buying more properties. I mean, the effort that we put into buying 122 or I put in buying 122 properties, I could have probably had a thousand multifamily properties or more than that for the same effort. And so when I look back, I realized that single family homes were, I definitely was not going to buy any more of those. It just took too long to build. And I wasn't even married back then. I didn't have kids back then. Now I do. I'm like, I don't have time for that again. I just, it's too inefficient. And uh, multifamily was going to, I was like, you know, my multifamily properties, they, they survived. Um, a couple of them struggled. I mean, uh, a couple of them had uh, debt terms that came due and we had banks, some banks that worked with us and such, but we had to sell our multifamily properties at the bottom of the market, which was the wrong time because we just needed money. We were broke and um, we had to exit out of them at the wrong time and uh, just to kind of save face. But Getting back into, I looked back and said, you know, multifamily is the way to go. Like it allowed me to scale. Um, I could scale much greater, much faster, much greater than what I had before and get back to where I was in a very short period of time. Um, and so multifamily was going to be the route I took. And so I was out basically, you know, 2011 was a, it was a different time than what 2000 and five or six was, I mean, it was a different world. Everything had changed. Lending had changed. Um, you know, the, the opportunities that were out there had changed. Even the people that were in the business were different, right? There's all these new investors. A lot of the old guys like me had fallen off the face of the earth and they never came back again. And, uh, so I was out there just talking to everyone I possibly could, like having meetings with everyone that was in the multifamily space that was local to me in the Tampa Bay area or within like a two hour distance. Like that was actively buying multifamily properties. And, and during this search, during this, this time of, um, I guess, uh, information gathering, I was introduced to a guy that was in the mobile home park space. I had no interest in mobile home parks, knew what they were, but just had never really considered it as an investment choice and had lunch with him. And, uh, after that two hour lunch, I walked away with the decision that I was going to give mobile home parks that asset class, I was going to give it one year to see what I could make happen. And, uh, the things that he had just kind of mentioned to me during that, that two hour lunch, he wasn't trying to sell me on it. He just said, Hey, here's why I like it. Here's why I've been in it for the last 30 some odd years. And, uh, it just made sense. And so that was the start of it. And, uh, that's where we are today. Um, and so there's multiple things in mobile home parks that are very unique in the asset class that don't exist in any of the other asset classes that are out there today. Um, and if you'd like, I'd be more than happy to share those with you. That we sure yes, would. We'd love to, yeah. we'd yeah. love to go back to that, that lunch and, and just, what really stood out to you? You said, okay, this is my direction. Yeah. You know, first and foremost, I mean, we all know that there's a, a affordable housing crisis in the United States, right? So like we can all agree with like, that's the case. And I know you guys deal in B and C apartments. And so you're already serving that niche to a certain extent. Mobile home parks kind of fall within that same parameter of serving the affordable housing need that's out there. So we all know that that exists, right? So that's one big thing. But the second big thing that really piqued my interest, he said, Kevin, he said, they're they're not building these anymore. He said, it's the only commercial asset class that has a diminishing supply. They're building self-storage, they're building multifamily everywhere. They're building retail, they're building office, they're building everything else. They are not building more mobile home parks. In fact, not, it's decreasing 
in numbers each and every year. So although there might be a few built each year, there's definitely way more that are being shut down or torn down for higher and better use. So that, that was one of the big things that there's this massive barrier to entry that I buy a park in a great market. I don't have to worry about a developer coming in and building one right down the road. So really unique barrier to entry. Um, one of the other big components of it that, that really piqued my interest was the turnover rate is much lower. And that most of the, the people that live in these communities own their own home. And it's very expensive to move one of those homes. In fact, a single wide can cost anywhere between three and $5,000 to move it. And then another couple grand to reset it back up in another lot. And so most people that live in a mobile home park, most of them, at least the, the, the parks we cater to, they don't have five, six, seven, eight grand laying around to move their home to another park. And so the turnover is very minimal. In fact, most of the time, once a home goes in, it never comes out. And if it gets sold, they just sell it to someone else that wants to move into that community. So your turn is very, very minimal. Whereas in a, you know, an apartment, and this isn't to put down apartments because I've owned them and I love them, but you could pack up your, put your mattress on the roof and put your, your clothes in your backpack and you could be out of there in the middle of the night if you want. And it doesn't really work that way with a mobile home park. Um, it's not that easy for them just to get up and go. And then on top of that, the, the management intensity uh, can be much less in a mobile home park. So if you don't own any of the homes, which is the preferred method um, that we like, it's to not own any of the homes, although we do own a few hundred of them. But um, if you don't own any of the homes, then you're not maintaining air conditioners, roofs, plumbing, or anything like that. Your only upkeep and only requirement from being an owner, property owner, is the infrastructure of the park. So the water and sewer lines and the roads and the common areas. That's really your only maintenance and upkeep. So you're not having the turns, you're not having, you know, roofing issues or maintenance calls in the middle of the night. Um, and so it's kept very minimal, meaning that we could easily manage a 150 space property with one part-time manager, Amazing. which is, yeah, I mean, literally 20 hours a week, um, th that park is managed, uh, quite well. So, um, there's multiple other things that we like about it, but you know, um, one of the other big things is returns. I mean, it's funny. We're actually seeing a lot of people that are coming from the multifamily space that would have probably turned their nose up to mobile home parks three years ago that are now looking at this asset because of the returns. I mean, you know, whereas you might be looking at five caps in certain markets in the U S for multifamily in that same market, you could probably buy a park at a seven cap. And so, um, the, the yield spreads are much greater as far as returns are con uh, concerned. So, we typically um, are looking for, when we buy a park, we're looking for going in. We want to know in the first year that we can achieve a levered 20% cash on cash return. That, that's our metric that we hit, that we need wow. to hit. And, um, and we do it quite often. And uh, we have a few parks that are, are, are much higher than that. So um, a lot of these parks are owned by old mom and pops. They haven't really treated it like a business. Just like the, you know, Jason, like the 94 unit that you guys bought, um, owned by a mom and pop type operation. They haven't really maximized the value. They haven't raised rents in years. They, they just haven't done a good job. They, don't have a, they haven't treated it like a real business. There's a lot of parks that we bought are just like that. We go in and we just treat them like a, you know, a business and we run them like a professional and, uh, and bring rents up to market and, um, add a ton of value to them. So there's lots of opportunities out there like that in this space. Wow. In the year, 20% cash on cash return. That's, mm -hmm. let me wrap my brain around that. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty aggressive. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow. But it's, it's actually, it's not, it's not too hard. I mean, I, again, we look at a lot of deals. So like, don't, I don't want anyone that's listening to this show to think like you can just go out there and pluck them off LoopNet and get 20% cash on cash returns. In fact, most stuff you'll find on LoopNet is never going to hit that. It's probably overpriced. That's probably why it's on LoopNet. Um, same with a few of the other listing sites for mobile home parks. But 
we, um, we, we do a lot of direct mail campaigns. We do a lot of cold calling. We know our markets really well. We know who the owners are. We know what their rents are. We know which ones have a ton of upside and we kind of just watch, we wait and watch and we stay in touch with these owners. And, uh, we know which ones have those opportunities, um, present, uh, meaning that once we buy it, we know that we can achieve that number. But, um, we've got a few parks actually, again, these are anomalies, but we own a few parks that, and these with, with normal leverage, I'm talking with like 25 and 30% leverage in place, get, you know, 50 and 60% cash on cash returns annually. It's just ridiculous. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. Because they weren't run properly. You know, Ooh. we came in and <laughs> saved the day. <laughs> That's cool. Wow. Now, do you, if you were to say there was a size, do you, do you, do you find that the properties you're searching for is, is there, is there areas that work better? Is there demographics? Is there, there median household numbers that work great? Are there, um, just yeah. size of the parks in general that are really mm-hmm. focused that if someone was saying that, okay, this sounds very intriguing, what would be some day one metrics that people could search for to find maybe, maybe towns or areas that may be a good focus for them? Yeah. So mobile home parks work in smaller markets than what you guys might be looking at for apartments. Um, and, but you know, so like our, our typical scenario is we look for metros that have at least a population of hundred K or greater. And that's not a big metro at all. That's a fairly small metro, but we look for other things just like you guys do as far as t- stable employment. We don't want any one horse towns where majority of the uh, employment is made up of one or two or three employers. Like we want it very diverse. Um, we want to know that there's a demand for affordable housing. So we look for the median home price. We want to know that that's over hundred thousand dollars. That way we know we're not competing with stick built homes. And then we'll also look at what apartment rents are. We want to know that you will look at like what, what the average rent for like a studio or one bedroom is. And we want to know that, um, you know, kind of like the, the rule of thumb for lot rents, that what you should be able to push it to in a particular market. And this doesn't always hold true, but it should be about half of what a studio apartment would rent for. And so there's some markets that are just really, really inexpensive to live in to where, there's not going to be, there's already enough affordable housing. There might be apartments that someone could live in for $400 a month and our mobile home park being half, that's not really going to bode too well for us. So we'll we'll steer clear of those types of markets, but, um, unemployment rate under 7% is kind of what we're looking for. Um, what else here? Uh, what else? Oh, another simple rule of thumb that we do is we literally get on Google earth. The good thing about mobile home parks is they're pretty easy to identify when you look at an aerial. And so we'll look and, We'll just look at the trends in that market. We'll look at all the other, we already have all the mobile home parks database uh, in, in most parts of the, at least the Eastern half of the U S the, the markets that we, um, that we prospect in. And so we'll look and see what's the occupancy. I mean, you can easily gauge the occupancy just by looking at the number of units in a park. If you see a lot of empty pads and all the other parks in town, that makes us question it. So we'll make some phone calls to the, the parks themselves, find out, what, what rents they have or what lots they have available, you know, um, are people moving in you know, what, what's kind of the, the clientele that they have there, you know, why they have so many empties, Just ask questions like that, figure out what's really happening in that market. But a lot of times there's a reason why you'll find markets that have most of the parks that have a lot of vacancies in them. And, uh, even if the, the, the stats look good from our research, we try to find the underlying reason we'll steer clear of those markets because there's obviously something going on that, um, that isn't positive and will have a negative impact on the, the park business. So, but, um, what else, uh, what else am I, do we look for? That's mostly I mean, it. I think. Yeah. yeah it's funny. So I, I, yeah, that, if you're looking at your business as a whole right now, what is something that you, you and your team are focusing on to, to improve within your business? Cause you guys have a, a mm. huge, huge, 
macro level of hitting 10,000 pads, you're at a thousand. So as you transition, what is something that you're working to improve in your system? Yeah, it's fine. It's what we've been working on for the, like the past six months. We've, um, you know, we've got six more, we're about to uh, add about another 600 pads, our portfolio here in the next wow. two months. And we've been working feverishly to, um, put the standard operating procedures in place and really systematize our business, all the different departments in our business. I mean, it's myself and two other principal partners and uh, we have a few admin that work for us as well, but I mean, we wear a lot of hats. And so we're really trying to define what those hats look like so that we can bring in people as necessary so that we can scale our business and truly absorb, um, additional parks as we buy them. Right now, our infrastructure is good and it can manage what we have in contract. Um, but if we were to literally double in size in the next two years, we would implode. And so we've been proactively working to just um, really map out our property management company. So that's one thing with this, with this business, we can't outsource it to a third party company like you guys do in the mm -hmm. multifamily space. That's probably what scares a lot of people away from it. You have to go vertical with your management. You have to build a property management company, which is a complete separate business, right? I mean, it's a completely separate business model. And so we're really putting a lot of efforts into our property management company. For example, you know, a lot of the vendors that work in our parks, uh, a lot of those guys that, you know, they just, they need paid right away. They, they can't wait to get payment. It has to be an efficient process. And right now between the parks we own is getting a little inefficient. So we're getting set up with vendors that allow us to, they can be set up and then we can literally hit a button and have them pay, literally have money in their checking account uh, through ACH uh, in a matter of, you know, I don't know, like four hours or something like that. So we can get them paid immediately. So we're systemizing the process of their invoice going inside our rental management software and also have a plugin or an application plugged into where we can get them paid absolutely immediately. Once that gets approved, that invoice gets approved. Um, some of the other things that we're doing is, uh, you know, even just on the lead flow process, Right now, I'm the acquisitions guy. Like I handle all the front end lead flow and um, we, we do manage it in the CRM system and we keep it as organized as possible. But in order for us to scale and to bring in, um, you know, another thousand lots a year, it needs to be dialed in a lot more. And so we're, we're building out a customized um, lead, flow, lead flow process through Podio right now on the front end of our business that will integrate our voice over IP call, uh, calling system that will also integrate a few other uh, technology apps that we use like Slide Broadcast, which, which helps us dial out the people and leave voicemails as follow-ups. Our database is fairly large. We've got like 7,000 parks in our database that we prospect to. Wow. And so we need to make that process more efficient. We're getting that, that Podio system set up also to where we can literally do our direct mail campaigns without having to keep it in house. We used to have literally handwriters, you know, sit there and writing and we'd hire someone to write them. And it's just inefficient when you want to send out 7,000 at a time. So now we'll have <laughs> mail houses that will literally with a plug, with a touch of a button, our database will be in our CRM. I can literally send out 7,000 mailers in a matter of like two minutes. I can have it ready to go and know that they're being sent out two weeks from now. So just systemizing that process on the front end, systemizing the process in the back end so that it all flows together and that it can literally take whatever we throw at it. That's the whole, the whole goal is so that if we throw another 3000 pads, we won't implode. We want to be able to build it so robust that if we decide we want to go to 20,000 lots, it can still, it can manage it, it can handle it. So uh, just lots of little things, even our website, you know, having instead of individual websites for each property that we own, we're building right now a very, uh, comprehensive, you know, I guess pr primary company website that will have subsites for every single, um, uh, every single park that we own, but it'll also have an app built into where our managers can go around and take a picture of any of the available units that we're selling. But we have a lot of new homes that we bring into our communities. Sure. We have a home sales program. They can take pictures of them and literally with a click of a button, plug that up into our website 
with a description and all that. So that literally it's live. It's, it's first it, that home's available for sale on our website, which then plugs into Craigslist ads posts from there. And, uh, it's just automating those processes so that it's easier to maintain and, and uh, keep our thumb on what's going on. So That's again, amazing. I, I kind of, I yeah. was all over the place there, but I mean, there's lots of stuff, lots of little things yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that like, uh, it, has to be done. It sounds like you're growing responsibly. You're systematizing your business. You're automating everything so that your business can grow responsibly and that you don't implode. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of, a lot of our listeners out there, especially the ones that have already started are just, those that are ramping up their business are wondering, okay, so how do I, how do I grow responsibly? How do I keep on like expanding my business and yet not imploding? And that, I mean, everything you gave yeah. there, I mean, start well, CRM, start, start just like taking the steps to yeah. systematize. Well, I think the goal with us is, you know, ideally, um, let's say we're two and a half years into our goal and say we've got 4,000 lots under ownership. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big number, especially being that most of our, our average size properties that we're buying are between 80 and 120 spaces in size. So that's a lot of properties. But, um, you know, my goal would be to like, I've got hobbies, I've got other things that I'm involved in. I do a lot of charitable endeavors. Uh, my other two partners, very much the same. They're involved in a lot of things. And so it's not just all business, right? Like there's other things that we spend our time. I mean, our, my family, I've got two young kids. And so, um, I like life work balance. And so I, I like to be able to build something big, but also maintain that life work balance to where I can, you know, spend time with my wife and kids and travel and, and step away for two weeks without the company falling apart when we do step away. And if the three of us want to step away at the same time, knowing that we've got the people in place that, know the processes, know the procedures and literally things keep plugging along as they were, as we were there. And we could step back in two weeks later and the company's even more profitable than what it was before we left. So that's, that's kind of, that's kind yep. of the plan. That's the plan. I mean, that, isn't that really the reason why we all start businesses is yeah. so that it can buy us freedom. And so with, that's what we, I like the monetary goals, but also I like the idea of, of buying myself more time as well. Cause we only have so much time in a day. And, uh, just like you guys, we, you know, I, I run out of time every day. I'm like, Oh gosh, mm -hmm. it's already like five or six o'clock. And yep. where did, where did they go? Exactly. <laughs> so we're trying to solve that problem. I can't add more hours to the day, but we can run our business business more efficiently. Well, you just touched on a subject that we love to ask about. What is your big why? Yeah. So first and foremost is, is, is my family being able to spend as much time as I so choose with, with my wife and my kids. I've got two really young sons, one's nine months and the other one is uh, three and a half years old. And so I'm just starting that journey in my life. And, uh, they are my big number one. Why, um, the second I've got multiple you know, parts of my why, um, another big part of my why is just, I enjoy giving back and I really, uh, I enjoy growing a company that, uh, fosters growth from within. So like a lot of the people that work for us now, a lot of our managers, um, we lend the ability for them to make a better life for themselves. And so we give lots of opportunity for growth within, and it's just pretty cool watching, um, that culture kind of cultivate throughout our different parks that we currently own now. And I, I really want example. to see that scale. In the, um, for example, one of our, our, our team leader now, so we have a guy that, you know, some people would, probably call that position like a regional director. Um, but he is literally in charge of, um, he oversees all the onsite property managers at every single community that we currently own. Well, he 
for the past two and a half years has been the full-time maintenance guy in one of the parks that we own in Richmond, Virginia. He, he worked there when we bought it, you know, two years ago, he had been working there for like 15 years, really sharp guy. He's about my age. Uh, his grandfather's our manager in that park. His grandfather's in his seventies. And, um, we just got to know this guy really well. And he literally, he saves us so much money. Like he really treats our money like his own. And, um, we, we watched that we saw that and we just, we kind of paid attention and he's really good with technology. He's really good with people. He communicates really well. And, um, we, we just promoted him like three months ago to, we call it, you know, team leader. And so he's in charge of, uh, 11 different parks right now. Wow. Um, and, uh, I think that's really, for him, it's like, he's literally getting out from underneath this maintenance job that he's had for like, that's all he knows. He literally lives in this park. And, uh, his family lives in the park. He makes $24,000 a year, which isn't a lot of money. And we just gave him a raise to makes $40,000 a year. Now and there's a ton of incentives for him to make a lot more than that. And he's happy as, as can be. He treats our money like his own. Um, but he also knows his business really well because he's literally lived and worked in that park for, I think like 17 years, wow. 17 or 18 years. So that's a recent case that we've just promoted from within. He's, he's super happy. And I, I want to do that more often. There's a couple other, like we've got a, a sales rock star. Uh, it's a husband and wife team at one of our parks in Alabama. They're just kicking butt. And, um, we're actually sending a, uh, professional sales consultant that specializes in our niche uh, out there in two weeks to spend three days with them so that we can build our new and used home sales program, like actually formalize it uh, more than what it is today. And we're actually sending them to that park because I really want Frank and Jennifer, the managers there. I think they're the ones that will actually help us scale that same sales program throughout our other communities. They don't know it yet, but I, that's, I'm sending them to that park for that reason. Cause I see that there's a lot of opportunity with them and they want to grow. They like working for the company. And I think there's bigger and better things out there for them because they've really proven themselves. So, um, it'll be exciting when the day comes. I hope that day comes where I can promote them to, you know, you know, regional sales director, you know, and, and literally oversee the sales program in all the communities that we, that we currently own. So, things like that make me, it makes me feel good knowing that we are cultivating from within and that we're just, we're giving people opportunities that they didn't even know would potentially even exist. Cause it, the, our industry is, is very behind the times. It's very antiquated. Um, and, and most managers and parks just aren't respected. I mean, if you talk to, if you ever meet other park owners, you'll find that most of them just, at least the ones that we buy, most of the people that are the managers in those parks, they're just kind of look, they're looked down upon. They're not respected. They're just another body in there collecting rent. And, um, there's not really, it's, they're given responsibility, but they're not respected for the responsibilities that they have. And so we're trying to really change that industry and change the perception of the industry around and uh, just treat people right. Cause I really think that that trickles down. I mean, we treat our employees, right. They treat their residents, right. That they, I mean, these, a lot of these places are, I mean, they're families that form in these communities. So you got the onsite manager and, and how they treat the residents has a direct relation to how, you know, how much people enjoy living in that community yeah. and how, how, you know, uh, responsible they are about even paying their rent. I mean, seriously, and how long they live there? Do they renew their lease? They stay there for multiple years. And so we're trying to build that culture from up top and have it trickle all the way down. So yeah, it's wow. huge. Cause they're basically, yeah. they're you, they're, they're the first entry to you. Absolutely. That's just a huge point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Amazing point. I love the fact that, I mean, yes, you're, your main why is family, but it sounds like you treat your employees like family as well. Yeah, you have to. I mean, grow. really, I, I feed my family. They, they help me feed my family, you know? So, I mean, they, they really are part of the family. They are part of my family because without them, I wouldn't be feeding my family. I mean, it's all, it all kind of intertwines together. And so the big, my big third, my third big why is, um, I, uh, 
I'm involved in a couple of charitable endeavors outside of uh, my business. And I love like one of my big hobbies is cycling. I love riding bikes and do a lot of long distance rides. And I do a lot of charitable endeavors through my bike riding. So I have an event I put on every year that goes to Key West. We raise, you know, $25,000, every year. And we feed a bunch of thousands of local families here in the Tampa Bay area over Christmas and give gifts to children. And it's really cool. And, um, I'd love to have the ability to do more events like that to where I can kind of grow my charitable endeavors and, um, incredible. growing this business will allow me to do, allow me the freedom to do that, to put on more events like that each and every year. Um, right now that, that, that event I put on takes a lot of my time up. I don't really have the ability to like hire a director or anything like that. But if I, at a certain point I will, and I would love to start more events like this throughout the country and, um, would love to grow that from $30,000 a year of giving to, you know, $3 million a year. So, and I think that this business will allow me to get to that point. That makes my heart happy. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Goals. I love it. I love it. Wow. (laughs) Amazing. And we definitely, uh, you give a link out to that. That'd be great. So people uh, know how to find it when it does come around. So please do. Yeah, we'll do. It's called the 72 hours, the key West. It's a 280 bike ride, 280 mile bike ride over three days. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty intense, but that's (laughs) that's, that's awesome. (laughs) It's fun. So we, we know your, your big goal right now, five years, thousand pads, Wait, what's the end game? But where, where do you want to question? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. Um, you know, I honestly don't know. I, I can tell you that, you know, our current, our current fund structure, um, we buy with, with the idea of 10 years. And so all the investors that are involved in us right now, our passive investors, our limited partners, you know, we speak to a 10 year goal. And at the end of 10 years, this is just with this first fund that at the end of 10 years, we'll take a look at where we're at. We'll kind of poll all of our, all of our uh, limited partners. And at that point, you know, hopefully they'll have all their initial capital back and you know, many years prior to that, but we'll kind of poll and poll them and see what their thoughts are. Do we continue just maintain the cash flow? We've got the infrastructure in place. It really shouldn't take that much more energy to just continue on, or do we divest of those assets? And I think there's going to be multiple points of times like that. Cause we're gonna have different funds along the way. This fund that we have um, basically, we launched it in March of this year and we can actively raise capital inside this fund for one year for, for 12 months. And so there will be fund number two, fund number three and fund number four. And I don't know, you know, I, I'd say that there, there's a 10 year, a 10 year horizon of each one. And I do think that at some point in time, um, there will be a point where I probably want to uh, step back a little bit. Um, I don't know when that is though. I really enjoy what I do. So <clears throat> to give you guys kind of like the end goal, it's really challenging for me because I really like it. I, I, I don't look at it as work every day. I don't, you know, wake up on Monday morning upset about, you know, the weekend's over or anything like that. Cause I'm excited to like go in and work with my partners and, <clears throat> and work with our residents and, and all of our employees. And, um, so I don't know, I don't have that answer cause I don't know. I don't know. Huh. It's, it's like, I'm going to work until I have that answer, but it's just not, here it. yet. It's not in my brain. <laughs> Love it. Also, so. Sort of following that. Mindset, <clears throat> um, we, another question we'd like to ask is about, um, how you start your day. Do you have a morning routine? I know you're big into health and fitness, but do you have a morning routine? Do you start your day with dot, dot, dot? Yeah, I can tell you that, um, I've got a structured morning routine, like four days out of the week. Um, 
and that, that is, I wake up really early in the morning. Like this morning I woke up at four o'clock and I go on a, uh, there's a group bike ride I go do in the morning. It's I ride like 45 miles. And, uh, I got, I basically have two young kids. So like my, our, our nine month old wakes up at 6am. Like he's like set like clockwork 6am. So in order to make it fair for my wife, I, I make sure that whatever I do in the morning that I get back home to help with, with the kids. And so the other mornings I don't work out, there are three days a week. I don't do any kind of exercise or, or, or workout. Um, I literally just, I wake up at 6am and I normally take, I mean, like it's, it's a kid's type of thing. Like I don't really have that much alone time those three days a week. It's, it's, Mealy family time, uh, getting the kids ready to go to school and all that. So I wish I had a better answer for you. Like I go meditate outside or, you know, we have two young kids too. Okay. Know. Okay. So yeah, there's, it's, uh, and, and in fact, uh, most of the time I'm pretty wiped out from the day before, like today I'll go to sleep pretty early and tomorrow, like I need every bit of this, of my sleep until 6am. Like I won't wake up earlier than that because I'll be so wiped out from waking up at 4am this morning. So, um, it's the kid morning. <laughs> yeah, love it. That's, a, that's a smart way to do it. Do it four days and three days off. I mean, I know, yeah. yep. I know every day I, the only times I get to exercise, cause again, we have young kids, we have a 11 month old and a Okay. Oh, you guys are right uh, in the same path. Right yep. there. Uh, anytime I want to exercise, I have to wake up at four 30. So yeah. anytime that four 30 mark passes, I'm like, okay, I'm sleeping in until six. Yep. Uh, yep. It's not happening. So I'm going to, I'm going to catch up on the sleep. That's right. And then I, uh, I almost didn't get up this morning. I, I hit the snooze <laughs> once and I, it's still not normal for me to wake up that early. It doesn't <laughs> happen automatically for me at all. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're also speaking to two former bartenders. So, so uh, okay. We were, you know, you get it. 4 a.m. Go, go to bed at 6 a.m. You know, so that's, it changes a lot. It's funny. My brain is works better at night for some reason. I don't even know what it is. And I still, and I go to bed at a normal time and I wake up early in the morning, but I still, I have my best thoughts and my best time in the evenings from like nine to like 11. And normally my wife, my wife goes to bed a couple of days, like before I do. And so I have like a couple nights where I'm like, put my laptop and just, you know, get some work done. And like my yeah. brain, for some reason it's on fire, like from like nine to 11. Yeah. And I don't know if it's basically a carryover from like bartending days or what, I'm not sure, but <laughs> we'll say yes. Cause yeah. Yeah. The same way. yeah. Okay. We're both the same way. So if you had one actual step for someone who is brand new to real estate, that this could be something that they could take away and start today. And, and it can, it can be a small step, it can be a big step, just something to give them an actual step to start on their journey to, to just get started in real estate. You know, I think, um, I mean, action's obviously the big thing, right? And so like, but I think before even, um, well, action is really the first thing. So I'm going to give you two things. So action is the biggest, right? Cause nothing happens without action, but after you're ready to take action, you're taking action, right? Now you, you need to focus on something. I really think that it's important for anyone that's getting started. Like there's a million different ways out there that you can make money in real estate. There really are. I mean, you guys have a house moving business. I mean, that's crazy. That's like, I mean, that's, that's such a, a unique thing. And you guys make a killing moving homes. Um, you know, I buy mobile home parks. There's other people that buy multi, oh, you guys buy multifamily or fix and flip homes, wholesale homes, buy notes, whatever. Pick one research a couple, get to know a couple, you know, take action and actually read some books, watch some YouTube videos, go to some courses. But when it comes time for you to actually put that action really in place and put some fuel behind it, pick a focus, just forget about all the other mess, put some blinders on just because you know what, at the end of the day, you can make money at all of them. 
It's just going to take time. There's no one easy way. There's no like one secret pill that's going to get you there faster. Every single one's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to be a lot of frustration. It's going to be a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings, lots of ups and downs, lots of emotional roller coasters. Just pick one though and pick one and focus on it until you like give yourself and give yourself a reasonable amount of time. Like give yourself an entire year. Say, I'm going to, I'm going to spend all my energy on this one niche for an entire year and then see what happens. And I'm not going to even, if anyone brings me a deal over here in single family homes, anyone brings me a deal with, you know, a self-service facility, I'm just going to ignore it because I don't want to divert my focus. I think that's so important. I mean, that, that works for me really well. And that's, that's why we only focus on mobile home parks. And maybe it's not smart to some, they're like, you should diversify, but I really want to be the best at what we do. And I think if you can do that, then you can somewhat shield and protect yourselves even when times are bad. Because if you know more than everyone else in that niche, then you should be able to kind of plan and, and weather storms a little better than if your focus is diverted amongst four different asset classes. Like I buy single family homes and I buy self-storage facilities. I also develop this, that, or the other. I mean, it's really hard to do all three of those, especially become an expert at all three of them. So it'd be almost like you guys, like right now you guys are, you're kicking butt doing the, um, the apartment thing. But, and I know that it was a family business with your home, uh, with your home moving business, a family business, generational business. So like, it was almost like a, not a plug and place system because you guys are obviously the ones that are helping kind of carry the torch. Um, but it'd be like you saying, Hey, Kevin, yeah, we just bought a 94 unit apartment complex, but someone just told me about this awesome way to make money moving houses. I'm going to start looking at doing that. Yeah. I'd be like, okay, that good luck. You want you to just focus on buying multifamily property because you're really good at it already. Yep. Why divert your focus? Because that's going to take a lot of energy to go figure out how to move houses or lift exactly. houses. Exactly. Well, what yeah. you need to do is just tell us no, yeah. no, don't. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Put the yeah. blinders on. That's it. And keep it's with the one path. of the hardest things, but you're absolutely right. And you're yeah. absolutely right. We talked about that earlier. It's just where focus goes, energy flows, and it's completely right. Yeah. So. At, at some point, you can diversify, right? I mean, at yeah. some point, you, you know when it's right, but don't do it in the very beginning. Don't try to be like the guy that does a little bit of everything in the beginning because you're not going to, you're going to be really frustrated and you're probably not going to have made it very far come that year or come. The you'll be average at best at pretty much everything. Yeah, exactly. Everything. Yeah, exactly. We, we were just talking we were about just, that. Yeah, we were. Hey, it strikes a chord. <laughs> we were just talking about that. And, so, and oh, I think absolutely. being entrepreneurs, we all have that shiny objects, object syndrome. I think it's just ingrained in our brains, but you just have to know how to control it. Right. And how tell it to shut up and like, leave me alone. <laughs> I'm not going to pay attention to you today. I'm going to focus on the, on the, the task or the niche at hand. Yeah. Wow. Like, Wow. Yeah. That was all yeah. so amazing. So before we let you go, um, what are some words to live by? Words to live by. You know, I think that you guys asked me what my why was, and I think that that is the most important part prior to even thinking about starting a business, prior to you starting a family, you know, getting married, whatever you're doing in your adult life, like figure out what you're really, what, what your why is like, why you're doing what you're doing. Why do you wake up the next day and think really deeply and take a lot of time to, to figure out what that is. And it can change, but that's like your life goal, right? Like your why is like your life goal. Like you guys kind of ask about like business goals and things like that, but your why is really your life goal. And, uh, and that's what everything else should revolve around. So I think it's really important for people to get to the core of who they are and where they want to be. And they need to figure out that why, because that's going to really lead and direct you the rest of your life. And um, so that would be some words I can kind of leave everyone with. I think that's vitally important. In fact, I, my two partners and I, we just, you know, we've been struggling with, um, we all are very aligned in what our whys are, individual whys. 
And we're all very aligned with where we want to grow our business and, and how we want to grow our business. Um, we all believe so much in our employees and from cultivating within and building this awesome company culture. And, and it's really changing the perception of mobile home parks. We all believe in that so dearly, but we struggled to find, you know, to actually put it in a very short, simple sentence as far as like a mission statement is concerned. And we literally, but it was so like, even though we all were aligned, we could talk about it. We couldn't figure out how to put it in a, you know, very short, concise mission statement. And we literally just spent on Sunday, we got together at like 7am and spent like six or seven hours together to do it. And I think two weeks prior to that, we spent another like seven, or eight hours on a Sunday when, you know, when literally no interruptions were happening, no emails were going off on Sunday. And, uh, but that's so very important because that's really, that's going to drive our company. You know, we have our goals on, but we need something that we can look at all the time. Like that's like our company's why, like our mission statement is our company why, and that will help direct not only us, but also direct our investors, direct our employees, direct our residents, everyone. Like they'll, they'll get to know what we really stand for and they'll either make a decision, do they want to be a part of it or not? And I think that's so very important. That way that we're, everyone in our organization then at that point in time will be truly aligned on the same path. And um, that, that is our company why. And so I, again, whether it's your company why or your own personal why, figure that out. Figure that out now before you go any further. Yeah. Wow. I can't wait to hear what that big company mission statement. Yeah. I'll let you know as soon as we, we, we got, we got, that's funny. We have it. I'm not going to give it yet because we have to, there's, there's like one part of the sentence. I'm like, that just doesn't, uh, it doesn't flow perfect yet. And so we're like, we're agonizing or it's on our yeah. board right now. And like, I went in yesterday and I'm like, God, like, I know that that sounds so right, but there's just something a little bit wrong with it. So we're still tweaking it, but it's, it's, it's crazy how long, like we went through multiple exercises. Um, and, uh, it's amazing how long this has taken us to actually get it down on paper, but I, I think it's so important. It's well, so important. It right, yeah, so but I it sticks with you forever. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So yeah, absolutely. Well, Kevin, we, we, so appreciate you being on the show today. Before we let you go, we would love for you to tell your, tell the guests about the two podcasts you have out and sure. it would be the best place to reach if they want to learn more yeah. about business. So I've got two podcasts. One is called Real Estate Investing for Cashflow. And uh, that's a weekly show where um, most of the shows are interviews. I do have uh, probably about 30 or 40 that are just me, but it's really, it revolves on commercial real estate, uh, commercial real estate investing actually, and uh, interview people from all different asset types. Uh, multifamily, self-storage, office, retail, um, literally rerun the gamut of commercial real estate investing. Um, and then I have a second podcast, which is called the mobile home park investing podcast. And as you might guess, we talk about mobile home parks. <laughs> so that is all we talk about is mobile home parks. Um, which is kind of interesting guys, because we literally, that show gets like, I'm blown away. It's such a niche show and you wouldn't even believe it, but we get like 20,000 downloads a month on that. So there's that many people out there <laughs> that are interested in mobile home parks. So, wow. um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. So, and then the best place to reach me is just my website, uh, kevinbuff.com. You can uh, find me there and shoot me a personal email. Even my, my, my personal email address is Kevin at kevinbuff.com. So I'm pretty easy to find. You shouldn't have a hard time. That's great. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on our show, Kevin. It's yeah. Been thank you guys. It's lightning. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so yeah. much for having me on. Thank you. <laughs> well, this is Jason and Peely with the REI foundation podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We're grateful for you for listening and we are grateful for Kevin for being on the show. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thanks guys. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation Podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.